You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. I get to start us hey. back. Uh, I, I get to start us this week. Okay. I'm so I'm excited. excited. I'm so excited. Okay, so it's been... I can tell you are very excited, yeah. Um, it's been a while, so I'm bringing us back to the ocean uh, <laughs> this week. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've taken us there, uh, and we're going to talk about a creature that may have actually inspired sea serpent legends. Ooh, I love some of these. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm all in. We're talking about the living fossil itself, the frilled shark. Oh my gosh! Ooh, I know you. I have to take this off I my list now. Shark. <laughs> I oh, they're so cool. They're so so cool. so so cool. So this is all right. Let's oh, do it. This is one of the most primitive species of shark there is, um, and it has remained unchanged since it appeared in the fossil record, eighty million years ago. That's million. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's yeah, that's uh, okay. just before the end of the Cretaceous. That's awesome. Yeah, um, it's it's been a while too for this. Uh, its Latin name is Clitamidosanquis and Anginus. Okay. Yes. Easy for you to say. Okay. I have it spelled out. We're gonna do my. Vi- it's it's a doozy. Also, Victoria. That's a long name. It's a long name. <laughs> Also, I want you both to just look up a picture of a frilled shark for us. Oh, I've got one in my head, but I'm I gonna, I'm I, I believe this. that. Chlamydosecalus and Guineus. All right. No? I don't know. That's how I, I did would, my that's, best. That was my stab at it. Uh, I did look up in pronunciation, and that was the best that I was able to get. But, um, Victoria, go ahead and look up a picture of a frilled shark. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I just went straight to the, the pronunciation page without. Mm-hmm. I mean the. Uh, I mean the Wikipedia page for the thought name. Oh, yeah, that looks um, very primitive, uh-huh. and quite alarming. Mm-hmm. And it has it has scary looking teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. So the frilled shark um, for our listeners at home. Um, hopefully you have pulled it up on our social media page so you can check it out um they're not joking when they say that it was very it very much could be a sea serpent um it is a very long like eel-like body uh which is rather strange it is a shark but it looks a lot like an eel it has a really flat head that looks similar to like a snake uh, i saw in a description and then it goes it has a really long body, and instead of that traditional like split tail at the end on the caudal fin, it actually has one fin um, that kind of just again like an eel. Um, it just keeps oh, going. Right. Um, the reason why it's called a frill sh- frilled shark is because of its uh, gills, pretty much. It has right behind its jaw. It has about seven. Um, it has six or seven gill slits, and they look frilled like a collar of an Englishman 
from like the Renaissance period, like Shakespeare, whatever. Um, and that that's one reason. But the other <laughs> thing about uh, frilled sharks is that they actually have, for a shark, and this is unique to sh for it, they have no nictating membrane over their eyes. Oh, okay. Yeah. You yeah. should probably remind our listeners uh, what yes. a nictating membrane is. A nictating membrane is a clear protective third eyelid that kind of that covers the eye and protects it from debris and things in the water. Um, it allows you to be able to see, but also not where it's like goggles for fish and some birds and some mammals. Um, now, um, it, it, frilled sharks are, uh, this is one of two species of frilled shark. They're both pretty similar. Um, they're generally found on the continental shelf, uh, several thousand feet below the surface. There's not a lot known about them just because they are so, uh, they're nocturnal creatures, so they dive down deep and they hang out near the bottom of the continental shelf, just hanging out down there. And then at night they raise, right. they come up and they are vertical feeders that way. Um, because what they primarily eat is things like smaller sharks and squid and some other fish. How, how big do they get, Rachel? How many Rachels <laughs> long are they? Oh, that's a great question. They're two meters long. So okay. six feet. <laughs> They're bigger than a Rachel. More than a Rachel. More, More than, a, than Rachel. a Rachel. And here's the thing. They can eat something that is half their size. So as, as they can fit their mouth over it, wow. they, they can eventually get it down into their stomach. Um, Yikes. It's horrifying. Uh, okay, yep. so the thing that really got me super excited when I was uh, doing my research for the frilled shark, we have to talk about those teeth, <laughs> okay? Now, mm -hmm. those teeth are very, so it looks horrifying. And part of the reason why it's horrifying is it's anywhere from 21 to 29 rows of teeth. Oh. Nope. Oh, man. No, thank you. <laughs> Rose. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Like the tail, they just keep going and, and going. Uh huh. Um, and they don't. See, they're not like regular shark teeth uh, with that triangular oh, they shape. Certainly are not. Um, but they are more like the barb on a fish hook. They are needle sharp, and they recurve back. So if they uh, bite, nightmarish. they are not uh, letting go. Never You're stuck. Go, yeah. Just never go, go down the throat Just one way only. keep going. Um, yep, go out the back one soon. So with all of those rows of teeth and with the recurve, uh, or the curve that they have for that, the barbed kind of that their teeth mm -hmm. have, um, that's like 300-ish teeth. Just to give you some ideas. Wow. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a lot. Just ready to lot. chomp on a squid. 300 yeah. little nightmares. 300 little nightmares. It's, <laughs> oh, it's so, they're, it's so cool. Um, I, one other thing that I really wanted to, like, touch on, um, 
oh, about this particular, uh, about frilled sharks in general, other than the fact that their teeth are just horrifying, um, is they actually have one of the longest gestation periods of any, uh, what is it? Of any shark, shark uh, I think any animal. Not necessarily any animal. It's one of the longest of any animals. So what they do is they are ovoviviparous with anywhere from 6 to oh, 12 okay. pups. Um, and pregnant females obviously have very large abdomens. Um, their gestation period is about three years, about 42 months. <laughs> oh, that's a long okay, time to because be pregnant. So for people who don't know, like ovoviviparous is like basically you lay eggs, but they stay inside your body. Yeah. So then, and then they hatch out of those still inside your body. And then the and babies then eat like the yolk get, from the, yeah. that is in there with the egg. And then they and, just keep And you know, growing. sometimes the other babies, as we've discussed and, in a previous yeah, episode. As we have discussed. And then so they're probably in eggs a certain portion of that time, and then they are swimming around inside mom, eating each other for a certain portion of time or something. Yeah. To be clear, I don't Which know that explain. this species does that in utero. I wouldn't be surprised oh, eating if they did that, <laughs> actually. They, they look they look like they would. <laughs> yeah. They, they probably would. I mean, if I'm in there for, like, you know, three, three and a half years... years? I'm You're gonna start I'm eating a, your siblings. I'm gonna eat my siblings. Sorry, Josh. Wow, that's that's where it, that's where we've gone. Yeah. In this episode, <laughs> is it? Um, I feel like the episode title's in there somewhere. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Uh, Josh is my brother. Um, yeah. So, it, I I just want to end on this particular quote from. Um, an excellent article that I got some solid uh, research from, uh, from the, I think, Ocean Conservancy. Um, yeah. The average person, uh, these sharks typically live hundreds or even thousands of feet below the surface. Uh, so the average person doesn't have to worry about these particular sh sharks if you dip your toe into the waves. Uh, you'll, the average person will only be able to see a frilled shark in pictures or in your nightmares. There it is. There yep. It is. Yeah. yep. Or anytime you look at like a, our social media. Uh, <laughs> well, as I say, like the 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 whole you started talking about with the whole like um, some of the Asian uh, depictions of dragons. Oh yeah. Very much seem, seem to be inspired yeah. by this creature. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So if you're not it. near the internet and can't um, like get two pictures of it right now, picture what that might look like mm -hmm. in fish form, and there you go. Pretty much, yeah. There you have it. And that's what I have for you both today. Frilled sharks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, it'll be Victoria. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you 
who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature. See you soon. Hey, we're back from the break. Uh, before I start, we don't do this very often, if ever, but I am going to insert a content warning. I oh. am going Ooh, to be okay. talking about mating uh, in a certain kind of animal species, and it gets pretty violent. So if you have young kids listening, I know where we're going with this, or you think this is something you might not want to hear yourself, consider yourself warned and skip ahead about mm, 10 minutes or so. We will insert the correct timestamp here. 23 minutes and 30 seconds. So when I was in college, I spent the spring semester of my junior year in the UK, which was an amazing privilege. And I studied at the University of York, which has a campus that was built in the 1960s around an artificial lake. Cool. Uh, There was a big population in the lake of waterfowl that, uh, you know, I think they lived there year round. And since I was at the university from January through June, I got to observe duck mating season in close up. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm really sorry. So let me... Let me tell you about my relationship with mallard ducks before I get into the meat of this episode. Yep, I'm taking this off my list. (laughs) (laughs) I figured at least one Uh of you had it on there. When I was growing up, I had a well-loved copy of the classic children's book, Make Way for Ducklings, which is a charming story about Mr. and Mrs. Mallard finding a suitable place to raise their adorable little ducklings in 1940s Boston. Um. I'm also, I sure, I'm sure I looked at and fed ducks at various ponds, and I was delighted to watch them waddling all over and making their cute little quacking noises. Mm-hmm. Mallards, you know, they're very gregarious with each other, and, and they're relatively fearless of humans. So in some yeah. places, they'll come right up to you, and it's so cute. Right? Uh, <laughs> n- no, I know where this is going, so that's a total trick question. Yeah. Well, yeah, let me tell you, there is nothing like watching a large group of mallards during mating season to make you realize what horrible, vicious creatures they really are. uh, You're going to give me nightmares, Victoria. (laughs) Yeah. The worst. So, goodness. uh, At the lake at the University of York. (laughs) Too bad. As mating season heated up, I got to watch. (laughs) Multiple times a day, male mallards, singly and in large groups, pursuing and attempting to forcibly mate with any female mallard that came within their sight. The females would run, swim, fly away desperately as fast as they could, but often there was a little escape for them. So, um, yeah, I observed numerous duck rapes on a daily basis, and it was very disturbing. Fair. Yeah. Uh, sometimes yep. the males mm-hmm. would even get so desperate, you would see them pursuing and attacking other males. And, you know, as awful as all of this seems, it turns out it is, you know, that's that's normal and well-known behavior for mallards. 
mm-hmm. mallards do form pair bonds for mating season, but it's extremely common for other males to try to force copulation with females they're not paired with. Mm-hmm. Um, but mallards and some other ducks are very unusual in the bird world in that they, uh, the males have penises. Yep. So, that, yeah. Wait, that's not the, yeah. That's no. not the abnormal. I was going to say, that's not the unusual part. Then I caught myself. I'm like, no, no, that is, that is pretty unusual in and of itself. Yeah. But, bird. Yeah. Oh man, I know what's coming. Me Go ahead. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Most birds, both males and females, uh, have a cloaca. We've talked about cloacas before. It's basically an all-purpose orifice for your mm-hmm. NPCs mating, laying eggs. Um, And when most birds mate, they just basically touch their cloacas together. But the mallard's different. Male mallards not only have a penis, it's quite long, about 20 centimeters, and it is shaped like a corkscrew, and it has ridges and backward-facing spines on it, the better to dig their way further into a female's Uh, body to deposit their sperm. So horrible. I hate that. It's so horrible. Rachel and Kirk are both squirming. Um, oh my gosh! It this, is everything about that is wrong. For, for the <laughs> yeah. record, I'm going to be a chicken, uh, not a duck, and I'm going to just post a picture of a mallard. I'm not posting a picture of this on our Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that's that. Fair. That's fair. Good call. It's probably a good strategy. Uh-huh. Uh, so the the penis, when not in use, is stored tucked away and inside out inside the male's body. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hold on. <When> he's <laughs> it's inside out? <laughs> yeah, it's inside out. Inside. At least that's that's what my sources said. Is it like I think it... N- it, it by its tail? <laughs> I, oh, I don't know. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's um when he's ready to mate, the penis uh explodes outward in about one third of a second to its full length directly. Uh, into the female's vagina. There's slow motion video on YouTube. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually look at that, but I. I. Uh, I mean, yeah. you both should and shouldn't. What yeah. can I say? It's. Oh. No, I, which by which I mean you should. You absolutely should because it's like mm-hmm. that's the it's the podcast. Strange by nature. Yeah. I dare you all, listeners. I dare you to not watch the explosive duck penis video. On YouTube. Yeah. That is one of the strangest you, things to ever come out of my mouth in my life, but I just said that. Okay. If you were a child, <laughs> please do so with your parents' permission if they, they are comfortable warned. with that. Yeah. The female mallard cool. body, though, uh-huh. has devol- evolved some defenses. Good. Um, <laughs> in complement to the corkscrew penis, the vagina also has a corkscrew shape, but in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And it has pockets and dead ends where an unwelcome penis can get stuck. Uh, and if the male is one that the female wants to mate with, she can kind of relax uh, relax things to let the penis as far in as possible, uh, which provides an advantage to his sperm. But Wait, uh, is this in the cloaca or is this a different orifice? I think it's... Um, it's a good question, Rachel, and I'm not totally sure to the answer to that. I think it's different. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I should have looked that up. <laughs> <I know. laughs> She's like, oh, My- 
God, you got me. You got me, Rachel. I, I feel. I feel Biting good. her lips. She's so upset about it. I don't normally. One point, get to Rachel. If the copulation is unwelcome, however, the twists and turns can keep the male from achieving full penetration. <laughs> she wasn't a phrase mm-hmm. I really wanted to say, but. Um, nope. Meanwhile, uh, she's also struggling and making things as difficult as possible for him. So it's really yeah, uh, kind of a gentle arms race that's been underway, evolutionarily speaking. Um, one last bizarre uh, story here. You two title. both know where I'm going <laughs> with this one. Um, uh-huh. Some of our readers may be aware of the Ig Nobel Prizes, which are awarded annually around the same time as the actual oh, Nobel yes. Prizes. The best. Yeah, they're so great. Mm-hmm. You should, if you if you're not familiar, go check out the web page. It'll keep you entertained for hours. Um, oh, they're for improbable good. research um, or research that uh, honors achievements that first make people laugh, then make them think. Uh, as their phrase goes. So this is these are real scientific papers, um, but they're just weird and funny. Mm-hmm. And one of the most uh, memorable Ig Nobel Prizes was, was awarded in 2003 to Case Molliker of the Naturmuseum Rotterdam uh, for the paper, which is titled The First Case of Homosexual Necrophilia in the Mallard, Anas Platyrinkos. Yeah, you had to go all the way there, didn't you? Yep. As I mentioned, it's uh, it's fairly well known that Ugh. males will chase uh, and attempt to force copulation with other males, uh-huh. and males will also sometimes even mate with the corpses of females. But nothing had quite prepared Mr. Malaker for the day a thud alerted him to a large bird striking his office building window, and he went outside to see if the window was damaged and observed the dead duck, which had obviously struck the window. And Uh there was another duck, a male, which then proceeded uh, to copulate with the unresponsive dead duck for 75 minutes. Gosh, I'd forgotten that wonderful little tidbit. 75 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And necropsy later. He could have the entire paper just (laughs) in that time. That's, he was that's, snapping that's some what photos. He done, huh? Okay. <laughs> so they did a necropsy on the dead duck later, and it wait, wait. confirmed that it was. Who was snapping photos? What are you talking about? Molliker. Oh, the okay. guy who wrote the paper. Duh. It just makes him sound so creepy. <laughs> he could they call it snap. I don't know. He needed to. He keep, needed to. Good lord! Keep provide going. proof of this bizarre. Anyway, the necropsy showed that the duck was male, the dead duck. Um, It was in non-breeding plumage. Mm. But, yeah, that happened. And I highly recommend checking out that paper. It's a very entertaining read if you're into that kind of thing, which our readers probably are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Our listeners probably are. Yeah. That is what I have on Mallard sex for you today. That's it? That's all? That's all. Yeah. I'm uh, thank you for being finishing that. Uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you. All right, Thanks we're gonna take a much needed break now, and when we come back, <laughs> it'll be Kirk's turn. Oh boy. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, If you're anything like me, you had toy dinosaurs as a child. 
Yes. You, you both have those? I'm yeah. sure I did. I, I don't they think they were like my favorite. I had some of the little, the little plastic ones. Yeah. Like, and I had to go back and look. But if there's any collectors out there who are interested in this kind of thing, I had the Marks brand Prehistoric Times playset. So I actually went on the marvels of the internet and figured out exactly what I had. Wow. And uh, it was included a little gray rock mountain and a little like pond. And I enjoyed these then. Uh, I enjoy them now. I even have a collection of plastic triceratops on my desk at work. Now, shocker here, but uh, not everything in these play sets was uh, 100% accurate. No. So first off. What? I know, right? First off, they cave. Uh, they came with cavemen. <laughs> So <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's that, right? And cavemen obviously did not live at the same Are time you as dinosaurs. Telling me that Far the Flintstones is wrong. I know. Not hashtag not a documentary. But the company also willy nilly mixed dinosaurs separated by hundreds of millions of years in the same set. So I guess in that context, including cavemen, was not that big of a deal since the cavemen were just you know technically historically closer in time to the T-Rex than the T-Rex was to the Stegosaurus. So let that sink in. Yeah. Right. So uh, in all fairness to the toy company, though, uh, they did not build this as a scientifically accurate dinosaur set. Uh, they included giant sloths, a woolly mammoth, uh, Dimetrodon, and some other non-dinosaur stuff. So uh, then again, uh, they did make it with a tagline, recreate the world as it was millions of years ago when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. So on second thought, yeah, I, I do blame them. Uh, toy companies like this are at least partially responsible for people not really understanding what dinosaurs were mm -hmm. or when they existed. Mm -hmm. Now, in an incredible, I, I'm an incredible uh, pedant. So one of the misconceptions that drives me a little nuts is we, when people call pterosaurs dinosaurs. Uh, and when we were kids, we called right. them uh, we called all uh, pterosaurs pterodactyls. Yeah. If you're like that, that's yeah, what yeah. Al said. Uh, but that's just another pet peeve of mine. Uh, calling all pterosaurs pterodactyls is kind of like calling all birds emus. Oh. It just doesn't make sense, right? Okay. That's a so, good, uh, yeah, it, 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 imagine like, you know, yeah, you had like a, a chickadee on your bird feeder. Oh, sorry, your emu feeder, right? Mm -hmm. And you said, oh, I had the cutest little emu sitting on my feeder yesterday. Like, people would think you'd lost your mind, <laughs> right. right? 100%. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of the same kind of deal. So, pterosaurs is a name of a group of flying reptiles uh, we saw in movies as kids. But to be clear, and a huge pedant, they are not all pterodactyls. And uh, not only that, like, none of them are dinosaurs. Right. That makes sense? So, not all pterodactyls are pterosaurs. Yes. No. And, not and all no pterosaurs are pterodactyls, but all pterodactyls are pterosaurs. Yes, and none of them are dinosaurs. And none of them are dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So they, sh they share a common ancestor with dinosaurs, but likewise, humans share a common ancestor with kangaroos, and we're not marsupials, even though we live at the same time period and both have fur. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So with that pedantry out of the way, the news I have to share this week is about pterosaurs. Uh, and I... Probably could have just let off with that, but I felt an overwhelming need to explain first that my topic is not about dinosaurs. Got it. Or okay. pterodactyls. To be fair, though, I, I am going to talk about dinosaurs, too. Oh, good. But, so uh, yeah. a research paper was, was recently published in the journal Nature back in April 2022, and it described a pterosaur called Tupendactylus Imperator, which is a pretty awesome name. That's badass. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, this fossil was found in Brazil, and there's a couple of remarkable things about it. So first off, it was incredibly well-preserved and includes soft tissue Ooh. that was fossilized. Well, yeah, which is really rare. So that's, that's super cool. But it gets better than that. Uh, part of what was preserved sort of on that skin was something called, uh, I think, pycnofibers, which was a new term to me. Um, and But these had been seen before in some other fossils. And a lot of people think of them as a kind of like maybe a proto-feather, mm-hmm. like basically little fibrous things sticking out of the skin. Well, what this exquisite fossil shows, however, is that these pycnofibers were actually way closer to feathers than expected. And they were actually branched. And I don't know how else to really say this, but like feathery. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the authors okay. or the researchers in this Nature article actually claim that they are feathers. So okay. there's two amazing conclusions about this. Uh, first of all, pterosaurs were likely not the green, smooth-skinned animals that we all pictured when we were kids, but were likely covered in downy, colorful feathers. So that's sort of hard to wrap my head around. Yeah, um, They likely did not, I want to point out, use those feathers to fly. They did have those skin flaps on their wings that they could... Um, that they could use to, like, you know, move around and actually provide the lift to fly. Um, but maybe these sort of early types of feathers um, provided insulation or could be colorful and used to attract mates. Um, but it, it just completely changes our view of what this whole group of animals looked like, right? Super cool. But the second thing, and to my mind, like, the this is a way much bigger deal, the second thing has to do with a, uh, my bit of pedantry from the beginning. You see, it's really important we understand that pterosaurs are not dinosaurs, but rather that they share a common ancestor, like I mentioned. But let it sink in for a minute to realize the implications of pterosaurs having feathers. That means that their shared ancestor likely also had these structures because there are dinosaurs we found with feathers, yeah, right? right. Yeah. So. The shared ancestor between dinosaurs and pterosaurs goes back not just to the Cretaceous, not just to the Jurassic. It goes all the way back to the Triassic period. So we're talking over 243 million years ago. If these findings hold up and are strengthened through like more observations, we may be looking at rethinking how colorful and feathered dinosaurs really were. Because it seems strange, but like it's possible that even more dinosaurs had feathers than we realized. Because we've only found just a few and kind of like, oh, they probably didn't all have those. And now it's looking like, well, they at least all had the potential to have some sort of feather, which is mind boggling. So, like, I feathered see... stegosauruses. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. Feathered I mean, T Rexes. I've seen the velociraptors. Oh my God. Well, that yes. one seems like pretty. Uh, like the most, one of the more plausible ones, yeah. like a T-Rex probably mm-hmm. was like a big turkey, basically. Yes. And if you've been chased by a turkey, it kind of makes That's sense. That's horrifying. <laughs> They're scary. So if you want to learn more about this, uh, I would say everyone should please do check out uh, the Nature article, obviously, or one of the many fine write-ups describing it online. Uh, I actually recommend Riley Black's article in Scientific American. Uh, that one was called Pterosaurus May Have Had Brightly Colored Feathers, Exquisite Fossil Reveals. Uh, do check out Riley's writing. Uh, she's an awesome science communicator that I follow on Twitter and stuff. And uh, you can find her there and check out her article. Awesome. Thanks. Very Kirk. cool. Thank you. So yeah. cool. We need more dinosaurs well, with feathers. So may you all dream of di- feathered dinosaurs and we'll see y'all next week. Oh, see you next week, everybody. Next week. Bye.
Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.